as you're grabbing your Bibles, we're in the Gospel of Mark, so please turn there, chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, please grab one from under a seat close by in front of you, and we're Mark chapter 3. While you're doing that, I just, I just have to, I have to comment, because you guys, I, I am absolutely amazed at, at you guys at our family here at Calvary Chapel Surprise. Last week, we, we looked in God's word and we were, we were challenged by God's word as to how we serve and part of that, that, the way that we are to respond in serving one another. And I gotta say, man, the Holy Spirit moved and just amazing ways. The, the number of ministry applications that got filled out last week were so many, we couldn't contact everybody this week. So if we didn't get a hold of you, please be patient, we're working through that process, amen. <laughs> And I've heard from a couple of people already that showed up yesterday to clean and they got here like about eight o'clock and they said the building was all locked up. And you know why that is? Because 30 people showed up to clean the church yesterday and it was done in about an hour. So praise God. So thank you for that. Um, and just thank you for all of you who just responded to that. And, it, and it's, it's not too late. You know, sign up. Let's be a part of serving and, and blessing each other here in the body at the Connect Center. will be again after the service. Get some more information out there. But today, remember, after second service, just to reiterate what we put up there on the VBS announcements, right after second service, uh, shortly after, not immediately after, because we do want to give time for people to pray up front, but, but we need to stack all of the chairs and get them moved out of the way because this turns into the sanctuary for the kids uh, during this week of VBS. And then at 1.30, if you could come back at 1.30, help out for a little while to transform the campus to get ready for the 600 kids that are going to be here this week. We can bless them with the gospel of Jesus. So, And then next week, next Saturday, 8 a.m., Saturday morning, if you could come back and even donate just a little bit of your time next Saturday morning to help tear everything down, we have a memorial service next Saturday at 1 o'clock, and, and we need to get the church put back so that we can bless that family uh, next weekend. So if you could come out and be a part of putting everything back for church next week, that'd be awesome. So anyway, God bless you guys. All right, we're in Mark chapter 3. And as we've been looking again at the life and the ministry of Jesus, uh, we talked you know, a couple of weeks ago that Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath day. He's, his hand is wearied, and he tells him to stretch out his hand. Something he hasn't been able to do is impossible for him. Jesus commands the impossible, and in faith, he stretches out his hand, and he's healed. And we talked about the fact, what a glorious thing that happens, but the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they saw that and their hearts were hardened and they conspired to, to destroy Jesus. They're already talking about killing Jesus. And so it tells us that he, because of that, he knows their thoughts, he knows what's going on. He and his disciples get away, get out of town, get up a little further up around the Sea of Galilee, but ministry just follows Jesus. The crowds were, were so heavy following Jesus, he even told his disciples, hey, have a boat ready, just in case I, they, they start pushing me into the water, I can actually get into a boat. And so many people coming and Jesus healing and the ministry that is going on there. And then we talked about the fact that Jesus, from that group of disciples that were following him, he chose 12 to be his apostles. We looked at that last week. And that's where we pick up today, Mark chapter 3, beginning in verse 20. And he, Jesus, came home, came back to Capernaum, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. Have you ever been that busy? 
to the point where you just, before you know it, it's like three in the afternoon and you realize, I haven't eaten breakfast, I haven't eaten lunch, you know, just so busy. Well, Jesus and his disciples are so busy dealing with and treating and ministering to and blessing the people that are coming around. They're not even, they're not even taking time to eat. And verse 21 says, when his own people, when family and friends heard of this, they went out, note, to take custody of him, for they were saying, he has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying something very different. They said, he is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he, Jesus, called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. Parables are stories that, that carry heavenly meaning, that carry deeper meaning. And Jesus, speaking to them in parables, he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But, verse 27, no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house. Now, First off, we see again, Jesus, the ministry has so taken up their, their, their time, they're not even taking time to eat. When his family and friends, and we, we understand that to be that, you know, again, word continues to travel, and back home, Jesus grew up in a town called Nazareth, and word gets back there to people that he grew up with, people that, that were his very family. And if you would, real quickly, you can turn over to chapter 6. When we get there, we're going to be introduced real very briefly to Jesus' family that he grew up with, his brothers and sisters. Chapter 6, verse 3. Jesus goes back in chapter 6 to Nazareth. He's teaching in the synagogue. They're amazed by what he's saying. But notice this. It says, is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary? The brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. We'll see that that's the response of his hometown people, those he grew up with. And some word gets back to them. Jesus has already been back to Nazareth. Luke chapter 4 records that for us. But they're, they're hearing of this, and, and their response is, Jesus has lost his mind. The Bible tells us that Jesus' very brothers did not believe in who he was until after his death and resurrection. So through his whole life growing up, through his ministry, they didn't believe in who he was. As a matter of fact, they, we see it right here. They think he's crazy. And we look at it from, from their perspective. They're saying, okay, the carpenter, he's the one. He's the, he's the head of the home. We believe that Joseph, the, the, the Mary's husband, is, is probably dead by this time. So Jesus taking that mantle in the home, running as, as a carpenter. But he's, he's left that, and he's followed after the ministry that he's been called to. And they're like, he just, he just kind of up and left this business and, and went to do something else. He claims to be the, the son of God. The religious leaders are trying to kill him, but that doesn't slow him down. If anything, it puts more urgency into his message and into his teaching and into his work. And look who he's hanging around with. All of these rejects, all of these sinners, all of the, you know, what is going on? He is nuts. You know, the world says the same about us, doesn't it? <laughs> Family, friends, especially those who knew us in the days before we came to know Jesus, 
When we were walking with the world, when we were running with them and they saw the way that we lived, they saw the things that, heard the things that we said and the way that we acted. And then when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says that we're a new creation. Old things have passed away. New things have come. Things that we used to enjoy and we used to run with. Now we look at that and realize that that's, that's sin and that's empty and we want nothing to do with that anymore. And now we embrace things that the world looks at and goes, man, that's nuts. And, and so they, they look at that and, and, and they say, man, you're, you're, your life is crazy. You're one of those Jesus freaks. Look at all the other guys you're hanging out with. They're all just like you. <laughs> they don't understand. The world is opposed. <laughs> they, they, his own family tries to do, take, take control of him, basically kind of do an intervention. You know, Jesus said, blessed are you? The world looks at that and, and you know, they, they ridicule and they say all sorts of bad things against us because of that. Jesus says, blessed are you when that happens because of me, because of his name. We see another group here. They're, his family and friends are saying he's nuts. The world says, and the, the scribes that are coming here, the, the rest of the world is saying, you know, he's evil. They're recognized again, as we've talked about, Jesus is really cramping their style, the religious leaders. Because as we've said on more than one occasion, when Jesus sits down and he shares and he, he opens up the scriptures and he's, and he's speaking to them, the people walk away and they're amazed. And it says, you know, this Jesus, he speaks with authority, not like the scribes. Not like the way we've heard it before. There's something different about him. And then the miracles that he's doing, they're seeing that. And, and they're being drawn to Jesus. And the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious leaders are having a real hard time with that. Not because they're not seeing what everyone else is seeing, because they're seeing the miracles. They can't deny the power. They can't deny what is taking place. And by the way, if you're here today or you're watching online and you're, you have a heart that says, you know what, I'm pretty close. I'm kind of, kind of on the thing. But if I could just see a miracle then I'd believe. Don't count on it. Because so many, the Bible is full of examples, and here are these that saw miracle after miracle after miracle, and instead of, instead of repenting, their hearts got harder and harder and harder. Ours is a walk of faith. And when we step out and we walk in faith, that is where we are blessed. But instead of doing that, instead of responding in that way, seeing what they saw, they slander Jesus. They even come out and say, he's casting out demons by the ruler of demons. Basically, he's, he's using the power of Satan to cast out the demonic forces that Satan sends out. Taking what is good and categorizing it as evil. And guys, when we follow Jesus, the world will treat us the same way. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who do that. But guys, we see that everywhere today, don't we? 
I mean, pretty much anything is embraced in our world, in our culture, unless it is the truth of God's word and the truth about Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, the risen Savior. Everything else is great. You believe that. You're the wicked one. You're, when we stand for morality, what we, when we stand for what the Bible teaches about marriage and life and those things, we're, look at, we're looked at as bigoted, as haters. When we bring the truth that unless you repent, unless you turn from your, from your wicked, evil ways, which, by the way, those were, I had wicked, evil ways before, too. We're not saying we're better than anybody else. But when we go with that message that unless you turn, you'll face the wrath of God forever, that's a message of love. But the world says that's a message of hate. And instead, they glorify evil. They glorify the wicked lifestyle that just says basically run after whatever you want. Movies that promote that, television shows that promote that, people that take bold stands, they win awards. But we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus himself said, the slave is not above his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. So we need to understand that. We need to see that, that that's around us and we shouldn't wonder why it's happening. It's happening because we're taking a stand for that. Now Jesus, as we continue through, he responds to their statement that he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. And it tells us here that he starts speaking to them in parables. He's going to give them explanations. First of all, a couple of parables to demonstrate the absurdity of that statement. A kingdom divided against itself, can't stand. A family divided against itself can't stand. It, Satan, if he's divided against himself, he can't stand. And when we look at that, that makes total sense. What they're saying is an absolute absurdity, and he gives just a couple of examples with that. This week, earlier this week, on the 6th, we celebrated or remember the 74th anniversary of an extremely important day in world history, D-Day. An unbelievably important day. We remember it because of the success, the military success that took place for the Allied forces in World War II. Now, can you imagine that instead of the way things went down, where everything was coordinated and working together, that shortly after the, the Allied forces that are coming by, by, by water, they get off the boats, they start running, they got, they got their guns, they got the tanks start rolling off, they got everything coming off. Then all of a sudden the air forces came up and instead of supplying support, they started shooting all of their guys on the beach. We wouldn't be remembering D-Day as one of the greatest military victories ever, we'd be looking at it as one of, the, the, one of the worst military blunders ever. It doesn't make any sense. What kind of military strategy is that? And that's what Jesus points out here. It's just absolutely ridiculous. But then he turns and he uses a parable, not, to, not just to demonstrate that absurdity, but to describe his ministry. Notice verse 27 begins with the word but. He's, he's drawing a direct, direct opposition to that. The exact opposite is true. Not, is he, not only is he not working in cahoots with Satan, he is diametrically opposed. Their missions are completely opposite. And he gives this illustration here of a strong man that in order to plunder his house, he must first be bound. Understand what, is being, what Jesus is saying here. The, the parable states, the strong man, that is Satan, 
The strong man represents Satan. His house represents his dominion. The, the, the sinful state of the world now, this realm of sin and death. And Jesus said in order to conquer that, in order to plunder that, the first thing that he must do is to bind the strong man. Hebrews chapter 2 says this. Therefore, since the children, that's you and I, share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise also partook of the same, taking on flesh and blood as you and I have, that through death, notice, he might render powerless him who had power of death, that is the devil, and he might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Jesus came to render the enemy absolutely powerless and then to rescue those who would follow, those who would come to set the captive free. The parable he's giving, again, states, sets it directly opposite. No, the work that I'm doing, which, by the way, the minute they're saying he's casting out demons by this. No, Jesus is saying, I'm casting out demons because I'm setting them free. And that's what he does, one life at a time. He, get, he characterizes the enemy as a strong man. He is a strong power. There is no doubt. On our own, we don't stand a chance. But the Bible tells us this great and extraordinary truth that we understand. Greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And it's not just a little bit greater. It's infinitely greater. Our God, our King, the Lord Jesus Christ, is infinitely greater, immeasurably greater than Satan. I've, I've used this before and won't go through the whole exercise with you, but let me tell you, the opposite of Jesus is not Satan. Jesus has no opposite. He has no equal. He's in, a, he's in a class all by himself, all alone, no one close. The opposite of Satan might be Gabriel, another angel, another created being, one fallen, one not. But we give way too much, we give way too much credit to our enemy when we are children of God. Alone against him, we don't stand a chance. But with Jesus, he doesn't stand a chance. And we need to understand, as Jesus said, that his ministry, against his ministry that he is doing in and through you and I, he says the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against it. Understand that behind the gates of hell are those that are violently opposed to us. But we need to see, as we talked a couple of weeks ago, we don't see them as the enemy. We need to see them as the sheep without a shepherd. They're prisoners of war behind enemy lines, and it's our job to bring them the freedom that comes in Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus continues after he gives them these parables, notice this in verse 28, truly. And when Jesus starts a statement with truly, we need to listen to everything Jesus says, but he's giving special emphasis here. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men and, what, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit has, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they are saying he has an unclean spirit. Truly, I say to you, Jesus making an emphatic statement here, and if you are one that, that circles, underlines, highlights in your Bible, highlight that next word because it says, truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men. All sins. And this is an important Greek word understanding right here. I'm going to teach you a little Greek. In, in the Greek, all means all. 
And that's all, all means. There's no, other, there's no other definition. It doesn't mean most. It doesn't mean some. It doesn't mean 99.999%. It says all sins will be forgiven man. All sins. I, I know that there are probably some that are hearing my voice right now that believe they've committed the unforgivable sin because they had an abortion or because they've had a divorce or because they're struggling with something in their life that they haven't been able to get, get victory over yet, and they believe, I've committed the unforgivable sin. Right here, emphatically, it says, all sins shall be forgiven. All sins. Jesus, or First John says this. He himself, that's Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, that means satisfaction, absolute total satisfaction for our sins. Notice this, and not, only, not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That tells us very plainly that on the cross, every sin ever committed was paid for, paid in full at the cross. And the resurrection of, the, of Jesus three days later proved that that payment was received in full. Guys, that's the gospel. That we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And every one of us in that situation, in that place, is hopeless, is helpless. There's nothing we can do. That's why he came. That's why God sent his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, and what that means is believes in his finished work on the cross because he took his perfect sinless life and suffered and died and bled himself out into the ground, his perfect blood to pay the penalty for all of our sins. And 1 John tells us not just yours and mine, but the sins of the whole world. Except, but, verse 29, Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is he guilt is guilty of an eternal sin. So if we've just said that all sin is forgiven except that one, we probably better find out what that is. First of all, we need to understand who the Holy Spirit is. And we talked about that. Pastor Brad mentioned it. We sang about it. We worship and serve a triune God, an eternal God, no beginning, no end. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. Now, there is not an illustration that I can give you. There is no way that I can explain that in such a way where you go, got it, perfect. We embrace it by faith. We, we accept this as something, again, God is so much greater than us. He is, he is so much higher than us. As, if, as Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 tells us, his ways, his thoughts, everything are so much higher than us. And guys, I don't know about you, but God a long time ago brought me to a place where I like that. I am so glad I don't worship a God I can completely understand. Because then in my mind, he wouldn't be worth worshiping. He is so far above me. The third person we say in the, in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible tells us that we, he has a specific ministry and work that is outlined for us. And we need to understand that in order to understand what this sin is that Jesus is referring to. First of all, it is to convict the heart of everyone of sin. To bring them to the reality of sin in their life. John chapter 16 says this, Jesus speaking, and he, notice he, is referring to the Holy Spirit, not it, 
He, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. Convicting everyone, convicting every human being in these regards. The Holy Spirit's ministry, first of all, to convict of sin. Every one of us, as I've mentioned, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And everyone knows it. Those that would deny it, those that would say it, they're just simply hardening their heart to the truth that God, through the Holy Spirit, reveals to every heart. We all know it. Sin, convicting of righteousness, and that again, God's perfect standard of righteousness. When we try to convince ourselves that, you know what, I'm, I'm okay in this because I've done more good than I've done bad, or I'm better than that guy over there, that's my righteousness, not his righteousness. And the Holy Spirit convicts individual hearts of this very fact as well. We all know that it's not good enough. It's, the Holy Spirit reveals that to every heart. Not only have I sinned, but everything I try to do on my own falls far short of whatever it is that's needed to be made right with my creator. And the Holy Spirit also convicts of judgment, that a holy God cannot simply turn away from sin, cannot simply turn his back and pretend it didn't happen. He's holy, he's righteous, and he's just. So part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict every heart of that reality. But praise God, it doesn't, his ministry doesn't stop there. His ministry goes on to, to show every heart the remedy. It's also his ministry to testify of Jesus, John 15, 26. When the helper, that's the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. The gospel that I explained just a, just a few minutes ago about Jesus stepping off his throne in heaven, becoming a perfect sinless man, living a perfect sinless life, exchanging that life on the cross for your sins and mine and the sins of the whole world. The Holy Spirit brings that glorious truth to every heart. No one, is, no one has an excuse. We stand convicted, but we also stand with the remedy. And here is where the the, the, the sin comes in. We have a choice. God has left that with each individual one of us to make a choice. What do I do with this? We can reject it. And in rejecting it, that is the sin that Jesus is speaking of. Willful unbelief. It's not for a lack of proof. It's not for a lack of, of this being given to us. It's a persistent rebellion. An ultimate and final denial of the gift that's been given and extended to everyone. It's not that, that the Lord can't forgive the sin, it's that we won't let him. Bottom line, the only unforgivable sin is the refusal to be forgiven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And if we reject that truth, we stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. Praise the Lord that through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, in every heart, there's another response that's available. Instead of rejection, there's repentance. Repentance is a beautiful word. 
because it turns us away from our, our sin and our and a sinful lifestyle and our desire to somehow do this ourselves. We turn from that and we turn to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who extends this free gift to us and we simply receive it in faith. And in that, we have eternal life. Our sins are forgiven and washed away. A couple of things, just one last thing for us as born-again believers, the ministry of the Holy Spirit doesn't stop. The, minute the Holy Spirit takes up residence in the life of every believer. He lives in us. He's our seal. He's our guarantee. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He's our teacher. He's our intercessor. And before we move on, one last thing, because no doubt somebody out there is thinking, what if I've committed the unforgivable sin? What if, what if I'm there? Let me tell you this. If you're worried about it at all, you haven't. Praise God, because right now that's conviction. And the Holy Spirit, the love of God right now is pouring out over you because the Holy Spirit right now is giving you an opportunity to repent. If you've hardened your heart to this point, but, but you feel any type, of, any type of, of softening that the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now, don't let that go. Embrace it today and make Jesus Lord of your life, and you can have your sins forgiven. You can have the peace that passes understanding. You can, you can know that your sins are completely forgiven. You can have eternity with the Lord Jesus. Well, let's, let's finish up here, the chapter 3, verse 31. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking around at those sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Verse 35, For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now, First of all, let's understand what Jesus is not saying here. Jesus is not saying abandon your family and forget all about them. But what he is saying is that for us as believers, as Christians, the number one priority in our life is the will of God. That's, that needs to take absolute precedence in our life. The love for God should be so supreme in our life that all other love Love for ourselves, love for our desires, even love for our family, when put in comparison to our love and focus and devotion to the Lord, could even fall into the category of, of hatred. Now again, not that we hate, but in comparison. Jesus said these words in Luke 14, and again, that brings clarity to what he's saying here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And again, that's what Jesus is saying. Obviously, we are to love one another, not hate each other. But what he's saying is in comparison to the love we are to have for him, all the rest, if it was to be categorized, would even fall so far out of that love category, it would have to fall over here. And always understand that we don't love first. It's because he first loved us and demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. But he says something that I want to spend our, our last few moments together this morning on in verse 35. Notice he says, whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Again, will of God. What is that? What is that for us? 
And I, I, at this particular time, I'm not going to be talking about his will for you as far as what, you know, what job to have and who to get married to and all of those other types of things because he very specifically has those will, that will for us. But I'm talking about, first of all, God's will for every one of us, everyone, is that we are saved. And as I mentioned before, if you haven't made that decision, don't harden your heart today. Receive the free gift of salvation. Be saved today. Be born again today. Because the Bible tells us very plainly that it's God's desire, his will, that all men be saved. Everyone. It's not his desire that any should perish, but all come to repentance. So first of all, his will for us is that we are saved. Also, the Bible tells us that his will for every single one of us is that we be spirit-filled. Now, we have to be saved. That's the first thing, paramount. But after that, that we are filled with his Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that. And when it tell, talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not talking about that initial Holy Spirit coming into the life of a believer. It's talking about the continual filling of the Holy Spirit. And when that is done in our lives, it manifests itself in the fruit of the Holy Spirit being demonstrated in our lives regularly. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that should flow out of us as believers, that we're saved, that we're spirit-filled. But thirdly, and to, to us as Christians, please, this, this, this part right here, that we are sanctified. The Bible tells us this, this is the will of God for your life, your sanctification. Sanctification, sanctification is a process of, of our lives being set apart for him. Salvation is a moment in time event for every one of us. But sanctification is an ongoing process. And Jesus said, sanctify them with your truth in a prayer that he was praying to the Father, speaking for us. Sanctify them with your truth. Your word is truth. Now, when it comes to sanctification, there's a couple of things that are involved in our sanctification that, let me be totally straight up, are diametrically opposed to our flesh, to our fleshly desires that we still as Christians still carry around in us, that we need to, the Bible tells us that we are to crucify that regularly because there's a couple of things that go crazy against that in our flesh. First of all, it says, tells us that we're to be sanctified by the truth. Your word is truth. Is just hearing the word of God enough? Is just reading the word of God enough? No, what, what it involves is the, is the first part that goes right against our, our, our flesh, and that's submission. We need to submit to the word of God. We need to do the word of God. We need to be obedient to the word of God. And that goes, again, directly against our flesh, because you know what? Jesus, in his word, continually commands us to do the impossible, Right? I mean, we've, we've looked at that several times already in our study in Mark. He told the lame man who can't walk, get up and walk. That's impossible. He, we looked a couple of weeks ago, again, the man with the withered hand. He said, stretch out your hand, and he stretched it out. That was impossible. But it only became possible in obedience to, the, to, to Christ's command to do it. But can I tell you that those commands, those impossible things, seem like a cakewalk compared to some of the other impossible commands that he tells us to do. Like love your enemies. Like pray for those who persecute you. Like turn the other cheek. 
Somebody asked me last night afterwards that what is that, what is Jesus talking about when he says turn the other cheek? What it means is you're gonna make yourself vulnerable to be run over again. And our flesh is like, no way, Jose. <laughs> That's impossible. But the Bible tells us <laughs> that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, again, I gave you an important Greek lesson earlier. <laughs> How many things? All things. Even those impossible things. But notice, Paul tells us, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He also tells us in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, and I, it, it's not my life anymore. I have been crucified. My flesh has been crucified. My old self has been crucified. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How do we get to that point where Everything that comes our way, everything that we meet with on, uh, regularly to where we can walk in that. Because I don't know about you, but I still struggle in areas where there's, I'm still not Christ-like in all of my thoughts and actions. How do we get there? Well, that brings us to the second part that is so opposed to our flesh, and that's suffering. See, the Lord allows suffering in our life, but it's never without a purpose. Would you turn with me to 1 Peter First Peter chapter 4, because this is such an amazing truth. And even already, I could, if you've already checked out, because I used that word suffering, come back. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Peter writing to the, the early church who was going through immense suffering, immense persecution. He said, beloved, verse 12, chapter 4, verse 12, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be surprised. And he says, as some strange thing were happening, like it's out of God's control, like there's no explanation or, or reason for it. Understand that if God allows it, there's a purpose. There's a reason. Don't be surprised, verse 13, but... Instead of being surprised, do this. To the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Notice, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. There's a future glory that is coming to us that, that Paul writes in, in 2 Corinthians that that eternal weight of glory that awaits us makes the suffering that we go through now seem so temporary and light. No matter how heavy and intense it is right now, compared to the eternal weight of glory, he says it's almost not worth mentioning. But not just in the future. Notice verse 14. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Not will rest, rests right now. You are given whatever it is that you need right now to get through whatever it is that God allows to come into your life. Christian, there are certain things that come into our lives because we are Christians. 
We've already talked about persecution, the things people will say and do against us because we are Christians. But understand, it goes way beyond that. There are certain things that God either brings into our life or he allows to happen into our life that he then uses because we are Christians. There are certain things that happen to a woman because she is pregnant. She goes through morning sickness. I can't imagine that. Every morning, waking up for no particular reason. And uh, just I remember when my wife was going through that. Horrible. The cravings, the desire for the weirdest stuff, the absolute total discomfort, the inability to sit, to stand, to sleep, to lay down, to roll over. I mean, for, for months, because you're carrying around this bowling ball in front of you. And then the labor pains. I can't imagine. I praise God. I'm a man. I praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord, because I, I witnessed it. I saw the pain of struggling. I've, I hear about it. There's like no pain to describe it. I get that. Wow. Incredible. None of those things are deniable. But when you hold that baby just moments later, is it not all worth it? If it wasn't, we'd have a whole lot more one-child families. I asked last night, I didn't get any hands. How many of you ladies who have had a child thought the labor was the best part? <laughs> okay, still no takers. But it was the fruit, if you would, that came from all of that. To hold that baby, to, to, to look that baby in the eyes, and then to, to walk with that through, as, through childhood and what a glorious experience. And it was all possible by going through all of those things. And guys, there is fruit on the other side of suffering. As we go through what God ordains and allows to come into our life, and it comes in all different shapes and different sizes and different, different waves as it comes. But we need to understand that we're never alone in it. The Lord promises that he will be with us through it all. I read a story about these two girls that, that were born into, uh, they, were, they were in an orphanage. One got adopted into a family and the other didn't. And the one that didn't was never taught to read. It was a very poor place and everything that never taught to read, went through a very difficult childhood. Eventually she was reunited with her sister who had, had a Bible and all of these other books and, and, and everything. And the one said to the other, you came to know Jesus by learning. I came to know him by suffering. And I say all of that to say this, guys. No matter what you're going through, no matter what suffering you're facing now or will face, embrace this as, as born-again believers that we should welcome anything that brings us closer to the reality that I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Because it's through those times of suffering that we draw closest to him. It's through those times of suffering that we, we are more attentive to what it is that he is saying and what it is that he is leading. 
It really is. Again, he, he's talking about rejoicing in our suffering. And we can do that because we know that the joy that's on the other side. Again, the labor isn't the best part. The reason you go through it is because you know what's ahead. And none of, all of it's only possible because of Jesus. You see, sin, sin, in it, if you're going to break it right down to its, its basic sense, is us saying to God, not your will be done, but mine. And it's only because of Jesus in his humanity who said, not my will, but yours be done. He held in his hand the cup of wrath, the cup of wrath that you and I deserve to drink because of our sin. That's what we deserve, the wrath of God forever because of the sin, our rebellion in our life. Jesus, the sinless one, held that cup in his hand and he said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Not my will, however, your will be done. And it was the will of the Father from eternity past that he would drink that cup for you and for me. And because of that, we have redemption. We have forgiveness of our sins. We have, we have all of that paid for, eternal life. But in addition to that, not only do we have redemption, but we have restoration with the Father. And it is only because of Christ in us now that we can truly say, Lord, no longer my will be done, but yours. And we can walk in that. That's sanctification, guys. It comes through submission and suffering, but it's glorious. As I've said before, God's will for you and I would be our will for you and I if we had enough sense to want it. And it's through his grace, through his mercy, through his love that he brings us into that. Would you please stand with me? Let's pray. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. And as we go before the Lord now and in our hearts to prepare for this, let's go with this, again, amazing response to the love that the Lord has, has displayed for us, has poured out on us. Lord Jesus, we... We again are amazed by you. And Lord, we come to these, these things in your word, and your word is very clear that despite what some might try to, to say, <laughs> that if, if you just come to Jesus, everything's going to be great, and life's going to be perfect, and we won't have any trials and troubles. No, as a matter of fact, Lord, you said the exact opposite. It's not going to be smooth. It's not going to be without its trials. But what you did promise is that you'd always be with us. And you did promise that it would, it would never be for no reason. Bottom line, Lord, where else would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, Lord, I pray today for each one of us in our hearts, Lord, that we would be able to embrace whatever it is that you, that you bring to us so that your will be done, whatever that is, however it comes, draw us closer to you in the, the crucified life that you call us to live because in that is glory, in that is freedom, in that is truly the abundant life that you desire for each of us. Have your way, in Jesus' name. 
Amen.